David, a man after God's own heart. That's you. A man after God's own heart is a very interesting way to be described. Something that we should aspire to. And as we've been going through this David series, um, we've been getting glimpses of David. And as the trailer said, David's had many different experiences that you probably wouldn't expect to sort of describe him as a man after God's own heart. Very interesting. Today, I'm, I'm actually going to come at the story of David with a story that probably isn't well known to too many people. People know about it, but do they know about it? And, and so today, I'm going to open up with a saying that even when you suggest it out in the big wide world that isn't church world, that don't speak Christianese, that don't do all these kind of things that we do as Christians, they kind of get the same concept. And that saying is, ready, wait for it, buckle up, this is the nutshell, you guys can go home after this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Told, done, sorted. Let's pray, let's get out of here. My job's easy. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And then I got thinking about that phrase and I thought to myself, hmm, that's interesting because if you, if you think about that for a second, but then you put a negative twist on it because if someone does something negative towards you and you apply that rule, what's going to happen? Do unto others. You would have them do unto you. Well, that person did it to me, so I'm going to do it to them. Classic. And, and that's the mentality that we get from being kids. I'm going to get him back. And so I thought, how am I going to illustrate that? Well, Boston Flame and Evans. Never go go-karting with this guy. He always wins. And so he, he has taken out the annual go-karting night. Three years running now. Three years running. So anyone that wants to take out Boston Evans in the next 12 months, go for it. Might give someone else a, a crack at winning the tournament. But this year at our Stuff for Blokes go-kart night, we went down to a new go-karting place. We went to Slideaways just down here at, um, someone help me. Just near the airport, that'll do. And um, Eagle Farm, that's the one. And then it's a different type of go-karting uh, place. Um, all those of us that were slightly older, that have had a bit of driving experience, and we consider ourselves to be, you know, talented, <laughs> um, we, we had a bit of fun because, um, yeah, we, we were cruising around the track, and it's actually a drift go-kart track. And so the road's nice and slippery, so you can flick it into corners and get it sideways and all this kind of stuff. But then, you've got some younger fellas that probably aren't as experienced as what we are. Jared Breyer. <coughs> and um, there's a couple of corners that you had to line up really well. Like the main straight, that sort of is straight, 
but it has kinks and stuff in it. So you can, it's a two-layered go-kart course for those that haven't been there. And so there's actually uphills and downhills and you slide around the track. But the, there's a little run that you can get from the last corner and the boys that were there that you all understand what I'm talking about. You try and get out of the last hairpin, you put your foot down as hard as you can and as you're coming around the last kink onto the straight, you try and get your go-kart sideways and then you correct it, which then you slide out the other way. But then if you hold that slide long enough, you can flick it around the hairpin at the other end. And it, it feels really good the one time that I was able to do it. There was this one time in particular, though, I was, I was nailing all the slides and all that kind of stuff. And a young fellow, and I can't remember if it was Jared or whether it was Nick or whether it was one of the other fellas, I was just about to hang my right-hand turn to get around the hairpin at the end, and they've just decided to go straight. And so here I was, sideways on the track, and here they come. They just line me up and... You know what came into my head? Do unto others <laughs> as you'd have them do unto you. So being a bit sneaky, towards the end of the lap, I sort of caught up to him again. And as he entered into the, one of the last corners, I tagged his back end. He just slid out and I just drove past. And even though you can't see facial expressions, there was a jolly big smile on my face as I put the youngin into the tires. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. A classic example of this is simple, practical jokes. Everyone starts off with a simple, practical joke. And then whoever you do it to goes, right, I've got to beat that. And so they escalate. Some would even call it, and this is, this is an interesting interesting little analogy. Have you, has anyone ever heard of a giggle loop? Does anyone know what a giggle loop is? Well, a giggle loop is a situation where you have a minute's silence or something like that, and all of a sudden, you get the giggles. And while you get the giggles, the people that you're usually sitting with or standing with and all that kind of stuff, and you're trying to hold it back, and, and the people know this that are sitting near you because... And I have witnessed this a few times. When people start to laugh, sometimes their shoulders will just sort of twitch. And so the person next to you sort of go, knows you're laughing and you're trying to be serious and you're all trying to stop laughing, but it spreads along the line of people. And everyone tries not to laugh, but then someone releases the giggle loop because they go, <coughs> and that's the end of the giggle loop. It builds. That's exactly the same as practical jokes. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 2014, uh, Neil and Sarah decided to have some service leave uh, from past Stormco. So we went and did a Stormco trip with them. They continued up north. And so they left me to my devices for, a, I think it was about a week, in the chaplaincy office by myself. And um, this was back when it was just Neil and I in the chaplaincy office. And I figured, well, they've left me alone. What am I going to do? Like, there was a bit of downtime. I'd just finished packing up from Stormco. So I thought, hmm, we've got mowers. We've got all kinds of stuff. So I promptly went down to the Stormco trailer, emptied it out, and put it into Neil's office. 
So now Neil's office has three whippersnippers, four mowers, a grass catcher with grass in it, <laughs> a few other things, and, and just shovels and all that kind of stuff. So I filled up Neil's office, I redecorated the way it should be. Smell a two-stroke and, <laughs> and freshly mown grass. And so I thought, oh, that's good, that's good. And this was early on in the piece. So I just left the, left the office as was, as is, and uh, went on with my usual chaplaincy business. And then um, about, oh, I think it was Friday, so the day before they would come back on the Monday, and I thought, oh, I've got to do something else. And so I went and got a down sheet from Bunnings. I gaff taped it around Neil's office, so it was like a false roof. I then went to Big W, I, I put a bit of thought into this. I went to Big W and got polystyrene beanbag balls. You make it sound like a bad thing. <laughs> I filled up the false roof, taped it up so it wouldn't fall out. But then, the tricky part was getting out of the office without the balls going everywhere. And so, I managed to tape it to the door. And so, I was able to shut the door bit of tape on the door so when Neil pushed the door open I'm dreaming of a white <laughs> office with mowers and grass all around I don't know but it worked it was brilliant Neil hated me and so we've been at each other ever since in fact Philip Philippa who's our one of our um, chaplains her office gets something put in it pretty much on a monthly basis we have a great time but everything escalates quickly. There's numerous stories about summer camps where practical jokes have gotten out of hand. There's numerous stories in your lives probably that you can think of where practical jokes have gotten out of hand. And it all can be summed up as, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a great rule. There's no doubt about it. It's a brilliant rule. But if you put a negative twist on it, it can get out of hand. And so, I was thinking about it. And, and the problem with do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, is that you get even. Let me explain that a little bit more. You see, if someone does something to me, and then I want to retaliate, it just brings me back to their level. It doesn't bring me back to ahead of them or anything like that. It literally brings me back to equal playing ground. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. There's a story in the section that we're studying at the moment of David, and it's about a lady by the name of Abigail. And that's who we're going to have a look at. There's a massive portion of text, so I apologize for that. But it's important, the detail that the author goes into as we look at this text. Let's throw the first lot up, please, Richo. Thanks, mate. All right. Now, we're reading from the NIV version. If you feel more comfortable reading on your devices or on your Bibles, that's cool. I'm going to try and read from the screen, and if I get too distracted, I might switch over to the book. We'll see how we go. And it said, now Samuel died. Samuel was a prophet. Samuel was pretty much... Uh, he was up there when it came to the guru of prophets. He was like the prophet at the time. And all Israel assembled and mourned after him. All of Israel. So he was, he was decent. 
And they buried him in his home in Ramah. Then David moved down to the desert of Haran. A certain man in... Oh, I had this sorted. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. And I love how they describe wealthy people in the Old Testament. It's brilliant because he had <coughs> a thousand goats, 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. Introducing the main characters straight up. Whoever wrote the book of Samuel and we're picking a couple of different authors, but they were interested in details. She was an intelligent, beautiful woman. Details. Um, but her husband was surely mean in his dealings, and he was a uh, calibrite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Let's keep going. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When the shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So here we have David sending 10 young blokes to this guy, saying that while your sheep were floating around, nothing happened to them. We protected them. And the reason why David was in the area in the first place was because uh, the king of Israel at the time, Saul, was chasing him to kill him. And so David was hiding, but he sort of had this sort of protection racket on the side. And so David's rocking up to Nabal, oh, excuse me, saying that while we were around, no one hurt you. And so we'll jump to verse 9. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. And then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants. Let's keep going. Who is this David? Right. Let's just pause there for a second. Who is this David? So Nabal had a lot of sheep. And he knew exactly where those sheep were. He knew a lot of stuff because he had a lot of things. And now he's all of a sudden forgotten who one of the most famous people in Israel is. Who is this David? And, and what's he got to do with this? Who is this son of Jesse? So he's real qu really questioning his identity here because in Bible times, your father was your, your identity pretty much. Your name was your identity. So when he says, who is the son of Jesse? That's what happened. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and meat and have it slaughtered for my shearers and then give it to men coming from who knows where? Which is true. That's a valid point. There were servants that were moving away from their masters and stuff. So that's a valid point. David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word to David. Oh, every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So, let's rewind a little bit. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. David gave this bloke good favor. This bloke repaid David with insult, pretty much. Uh-uh, no deal, all that kind of stuff. So then David's response, so remember how I said the giggle loop just keeps building? And, and remember how I said practical jokes just keep building? 
David's response to this bloke is, all right, boys, grab your swords, we're going to go for a walk. And so, uh, strap on your swords. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. So this isn't just a little fight. We've got the future king of Israel, the, the famous David that took out Goliath, the the David that did all this kind of stuff and had one of the best armies in the world, David himself was rocking up to this one. David himself put on his sword. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with his supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messages to the wilderness to give our master his greetings and he Nabal hurled insults at them yet these men were very good to us they did not mistreat us and the whole time we were out in the fields near them nothing went missing night and day they were all um, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master in his whole household, he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Gives you a bit more detail on the sheep scenario. Gives you a little more glimpse at what David actually did. When I said it was a protection racket, that's what it was. They literally protected Nabal's men, sheep, livelihood. And when the servant talks to the missus saying he hurled insults at them, exactly right and then it says abigail acted quickly remember how she was described at the start of the story she was very wise and beautiful abigail acted quickly she took 200 loaves of bread two skins of wine five dressed sheep i don't know how they dressed the sheep maybe tuxedos don't know um five sayers of roasted grain a hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal, she was very wise and very beautiful. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there, there were David and his men descending toward her. She met them. David had just said, it's been useless all while watching over my, this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing he has paid me back evil for good may god deal with david be it ever so severely if by morning i leave alive one male of all who belong to him so david's gone we're going to just wipe this guy out we're just going to annihilate him we're going to not only get rid of all his belongings and all that kind of stuff but not even a male his name will not continue Check out Abigail. This is very interesting because this works. I'm sorry, fellas. I'm going to let the ladies in on a little secret. This sort of stuff works for us today. The way Abigail approaches David is very interesting. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David <laughs> with her face to the ground and she fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Now, I'm not saying that it works for us today and the fact that ladies bow down all that i'm not saying that at all but what you can see here is is she didn't she was well off 
She didn't need to bow down in front of David. She, she was pretty much the, the queen of her kingdom, but she didn't need to do what she did. She bowed down in front of David. She showed him the utmost respect. And it continues. Check this out. Uh, have we moved on? Yeah. Uh, sorry, Richard. And let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool. Literally. The Nabal, Nabal name translated literally means fool. And then you sort of think, really? These guys are just having a joke with us. Right. Come on now. Um, the folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming, you, uh, harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to you be given to the men that follow you. So what she's saying here is she's already made up David's mind. If you read into it, she's already made up David's mind. Because she's now turned around and go, David, you're not going to go and kill my husband. You're not going to go down into that yard if you keep reading it. Yeah, you're not going to do it. And may the Lord bless you because of that. I don't know, women just get it. I don't get it. And so here, here we have David, as I've said, this guy. You guys have learned about him all throughout this, this series. And here we have David, this all-conquering David. And Abigail just comes up, bats her eyelids and goes, you're not going to do it. God bless you because you're not going to do it. And all of a sudden, David didn't do it. David didn't go and annihilate. Let's, um, let's keep going. We'll keep going forward a little bit. Next one, please, Richard. All right, we'll go from 31. My Lord will not have his conscience on the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord. So that's pretty much the full stop. They just go through that little bit that we skipped there. They just go through a little bit more on what David wasn't going to do. And David puts a full stop on the thing, says, Praise to the Lord. Let's go to 33. Uh, God of Israel, who sent you today to meet me here, may you be blessed for your good judgment. And they converse this way, David thanking her. 36. When Abigail went, into Na went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. So Nabal still had no idea what was going on. Nabal still thought that he was, he was the bee's knees. He was the duck's guts. He was up there and he was celebrating like a king because he was the one that told David, go away. Little does he know his missus has just gone to see David, given him a whole heap of food and pretty much told David, you're not going to do it. And David agreed with her. An interesting story. Let's keep going. 37. He was in high spirits and very drunk. She told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. His heart failed him and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. This is, this is an interesting... He died. Yeah. Anyway. 
limited detail on that one. So they're very detailed up until that point. 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, this is, this, uh, this is like icing on the cake. Ready? When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong. He has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down to his own head. Then David sent a word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. Let's go back to the initial translation. She was wise and beautiful. And now David's gone, I'll I'll have you as my wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and I'm ready to serve you and wash your feet in the Lord's service. Abigail quickly got on the donkey and attended by her five female servants, went to David's messengers and became his wife. David had also, and then it goes on, they lived happily ever after. There's three different lenses that we can pull out of the story. Three different lenses. You've got that of Nabal, you've got that of David, and you've got that of Abigail. So when you think about it, Nabal's was probably evil for good. I don't care who you are, I'm just going to do it. Oh, no, you done. that was your choice, mate. You didn't have to do it, but I'm not going to return good for good. I'm going to return evil for good. And then David, well, his response was evil for evil. Which, I don't know, I guess in the Bible times would have been understanding. Like that's the way they operated. In fact, in the book of Exodus, it gives you detail of if someone does this, then you need to do this back to them as punishment. It was very biblical for that time, evil for evil. But then Abigail comes up on the scene. And her response is good for evil her response is good for evil three different lenses three different choices that people get to make three different choices that people get to make you see sometimes the easier option is getting evil sometimes do unto others as you'd have them do unto you negative spin is an easier option than doing good. New Testament is full of this stuff. Jesus talks about it in so many different texts. You got turn the other cheek, where Jesus says, if someone hits your left cheek, let him hit the right as well. There's so many different different analogies here, but the one of the best ones comes from the book of Peter, and it's Peter writing, and it's First Peter three nine. We can throw it up on the screen. Thanks, Risto. First Peter three nine. He says this, it's pretty cool. And if you put it in the context of the story that we've just gone through with Abigail and David, it, it's very interesting. It says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You see, what Izzy's going to do this afternoon, what what you guys are interested in or have done in the past is, is something that is very interesting because once you have Jesus on your side, you want to go that extra mile. You want to repay evil for good. You want to do those things. Our natural human response is the opposite. We want to repay evil for evil and all that kind of stuff. But there's a switch that gets flipped 
And that switch comes with the name of Jesus Christ. We were undefeated for the season. We came up against our old foe. And um, our old foe just happened to be Mansfield State High. We were at BAC, which they're literally on the same road. And um, we, we were undefeated. We came up against them. And uh, we decided that uh, we would change captain for the day. And so the, a little bloke we used to call Midget, he was our wicketkeeper, we, we sent him out to do the toss and all that kind of stuff. And he goes out and he calls out heads. The umpire flicks the coin and it drops into the grass and it was tails. Mansfield won the toss. And we thought to ourselves, final, we've already lost the toss. You guilty. It's going to be a long day. Anyway, Midget comes back and says, all right, boys, we're batting. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. So we, we were actually quite a heavy team of batsmen, and there was a few of us that bowled. And so we ended up posting a pretty good score of 168 of 15 overs. It's not bad. And um, as I said, we're, we're batsmen heavy, so that's why we, <laughs> we hit that score. And then it came around for our turn to bowl. But what I haven't mentioned was, is when I came out to bat, um, I'm not a short fellow, but there was a guy on the other team that um, he was a, quite a quick bowler. And so he, he decided, and he was getting frustrated that we were just picking him off. The pitch wasn't doing anything. We were just picking him off, left, right, and center. And he was getting frustrated, and I could sense that. And so being a young teenager that I am, I said, I was, <laughs> shouldn't have done it. Walked towards the middle of the pitch. The bowler was there. And I just said to him, where do you want me to hit the next one? And um, the, guy, the guy I was batting with just cracked up laughing. And so I, I faced up and I thought, oh, sure as eggs, I'm going to get a bouncer now. And so I stepped back in my, in my crease towards the stumps a little bit. Faced up and waited for the ball. Didn't get a bouncer. A bouncer's where the ball's halfway down the pitch, bounces really high and can hit you in the head. We, we use it as an intimidation um, technique. Usually you try and aim it at their ribs. Um, so if you can get, it to hit the, get, them to hit, uh, get the ball to hit them about there, it actually hurts a lot and, yeah, intimidates them. This guy decided that, no, nah, he wasn't going to go for the bouncer, he was going to go for a Yorker, which is a full ball right at your toes. Anyway, it was a hot day. He had a slippery hand. Let go of said cricket ball. It's one of the slow motion moments. It's coming down. For a full toss to be a legal ball, it has to go through underneath your hip. This one came straight at my head. Um, and we were manly men, so we didn't wear helmets. And so it's coming for me. And the, be the uh, best rule I can tell anyone that's interested in cricket is simply don't take your eye off the ball. E 
even when they're bowling bounces and full tosses at you, don't take your eye off the ball. Because <laughs> if you take your eye off the ball, you don't know where it is. It's quite simple. Anyway, so I'm watching the ball and quite, I was going all right. So I was, I, my eye was in and so I saw the ball and I just weaved out of the way of it. That didn't make matters any good, better. So old mate this time decided to bowl a bouncer. Perfectly pitched bouncer, comes up, smacks me in the nose. Blood everywhere. Felt so manly, it was great. <laughs> but but there, we, there I was, sort of on the ground, sort of crying, sort of not, because you can't cry in front of your mates. And, um, or, yeah, I just said my eyes were watering. He just hit me in the face. Um, and, and blood going everywhere and whatever else. But got it all good. It actually didn't quite smack my nose. It actually just got the tip. And so I've had broken noses before, so I can't actually feel too much in the end of my nose. So it was all right, but blood enough. And so it it gone, gone through, and I got ice on it and all that kind of stuff, and we're good to go, second innings. I had a weird sort of hanky in my pocket that was a nice shade of red by the end of it, but we're all good to go. So they put me in the field, and I was fielding it slip, hoping I wouldn't get too much action. And um, bowling away, bowling away. And then towards the end of the innings, this fellow that was bowling to me came in. Midget, our captain, turns to me and throws me the ball. And I thought to myself, you get even? Or do we play cricket? Some would say that getting even is playing cricket. And so I steamed in. And back in those days, I was a lot fitter and I could bowl probably a bit quicker. And um, I let the ball go. And as I said, you try and aim for the rib cage. First one, perfect. Right in his rib cage, got him on the skin. He hurt. And when you're a batsman and you get hit, you try not to make it look like you hurt. And so he hurt. We all saw it. And so the next ball was meant to be identical. Wasn't. It was a full toss as well. And um, it actually went through, got him on the jaw. And... Um, yeah, hit him pretty hard. He went down, and all of us sort of celebrated for a little bit, realised he wasn't in a good way. And so we all bolted over to him and um, swelled up instantly and uh, called an ambulance and took him to hospital everything and um, we found out where he went and all that and went and saw him a couple of days later he's all good but they had to wire some of his jaw or something like that I've got no idea I'm not a doctor but they had to do something to try and keep his jaw straight for a little bit and you just feel gutted I still feel gutted getting even isn't always the best option um, so David David had an option, and he chose evil for evil. Abigail had an option, and she chose, she chose to step in. And sometimes that takes more courage than getting even as well, or being part of the whole scenario is someone to actually step between everyone and go, oh, hang on a minute. And that's why I think the author decided in Samuel to, to sort of add the fact that she was wise, because she saw a need for her to step in and stop what was going on. You see, if our coach or if our captain or if our whatever else said, Simo, we just want you to bowl line and length or whatever else without getting in, 
without giving me the ball and going, go for it, things could have been different. I wouldn't have a story to tell, but things could have been different. And, and the interesting thing is, is that when we grow older, we realize the things that we've done evil for evil. We realize the things that we've done that are good. We've realized all these different things. And we think back on our story and we realize that we might not want our story to be evil for evil. We might not want our story to be evil for good, but definitely want our story to be the one of good for evil. Way back when, Genesis 1, Genesis 3, all that sort of Garden of Eden type stuff, where man was created and sent into the world, all of a sudden there was this evil thing. And if we've got a Father in heaven that has a plan for us, that sends His Son to die on the cross for us to repay good for evil, then that is the ultimate scenario. We've got a God that was like Abigail that stood in the middle and goes, "Uh uh-uh, I've got a plan. I've got a plan to put this, this, this evil away and I'm going to repay evil for good. It's an awesome story. It's an awesome story and it's all through the Bible. Throughout the Bible, throughout all the little stories in the Bible, there's this hint that God is that mediator that Abigail was in this situation. That God stands in the middle and chooses 100% of the time. And then we have a choice. What story do we want to look back on and tell? What story do we want to look back on our lives and go, well, at that point, I repaid evil for evil. At that point, I repaid evil for good. At that point, so on and so forth. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could all turn around and go, well, every time someone did something for me, I repaid it with good. Every time I saw a scenario that someone was being, being picked on or being abused, I guess, Wouldn't it be cool if we could all turn around and go, I stood in. I stood in the middle. There are different situations in your life where you would have opportunities to repay bad for good. As I started the talk this morning, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It can mean two completely different things. But when you look back on your story, what do you want it to mean for you? We know what it meant for Nabal. We know what it meant for David. And we knew or know what it meant for Abigail. And because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we know what it means for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much the gift of your son on the cross. Lord, we, we thank you for opportunities. Lord, we're sorry when we stuff up and we get taken up in the moment and sometimes our do unto others as we have them do unto us is all messed up. But Lord, we thank you that you're a God of opportunity and you give us so many opportunities throughout our life. And today, I pray a prayer prayer of dedication for this group of people in this room that that when they receive the opportunity that they'll go for it and choose the good thank you lord we love you and we can't wait to see you amen